0: Well, good morning again, church, and welcome back to our new message series. You asked for it, because quite frankly, you did. As a staff, we wanted to know what are the burning questions that you're wrestling with, with life, faith, the Bible, God. And you sent those in and Pastor Terry has had the Herculean task of answering those for us, and so we say thank you. You're welcome, but I
1: don't have as great a task as you did trying to go from that to that to that to that. How about a round of applause for Pastor David and our worship team? They did an amazing job today.
0: It's it's a joy. It is a joy. (laughs) Last, Last week, Terry, you really set the foundation for us because you helped us understand that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay for me to wrestle with Things that I don't understand that I maybe haven't completely grasped yet. And, and a phrase that really stuck with me that you gave us last week. Actually, I shared this on a phone call the other day, <laughs> which is a questioning faith is a growing faith. Amen. A questioning faith. Like, if you've got no questions... That might be a warning. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> then we have
1: all the answers, which we know we don't. No, I know I don't. That's right. And so thank you for bringing some answers today. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm excited today as we just continue um, kind of unpacking this because I, I do think, and, and I think what Pastor David said is true, especially as we talk about these questions today, is a, a questioning faith is a growing faith. And when we can, in humility, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, understand not only to one another that we don't have all the answers, but also if you're not a Christian in this room and and, and you're sitting there and you're just kind of looking, I would say this, we don't have all the answers. Um, We don't know it all. We have a faith, and we trust, and we continue to gain understanding, and we continue to have things revealed to us, and we continue to, to by faith, walk, and to be able to trust Jesus. Um, But I would say that any Christian who who continues to say that I know with 100% certainty everything of the things of God, then if you're not a Christian in this room, don't listen to that person, because they don't know what they're talking about. So it is important with humility to approach these questions.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, without further ado, why don't we just jump into the first one? And so... I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm going to go right at it. Okay. Is Jesus really the only way to heaven?
1: <laughs> yeah, you didn't pull any punches. Did you? <laughs> um, that's a question that a lot of us get. And, and what I would say is it's, it's, before we even uh, approach this, I think it's important to understand context. And what I would say is if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, um, the answers that I'm going to give you are directly to you. Because you're a follower of Jesus and so it's really important for you as a follower of Jesus to be able to have the information to be able to gain to be able to communicate with your family with your friends. If you're not a Christian I don't expect you to agree with my answer today. I don't, I, I don't expect you 100% to be able to say, you know, I'm going to take you at face word because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be my expectation for you to do so because you're not a follower of Jesus. And so if you're not a Christian, when I answer all of these questions, I, I encourage you to reach out to a friend, a family member, and to begin a conversation because I think that's where real learning begins is when we, we can wrestle with someone that we trust and someone that we love to be able to gain more understanding and context. But to get to your question, is, is Jesus the only way to heaven? I think that we have to answer it like Jesus does. Okay. Because I think the way Jesus answered questions is he, another question. he gave another question. So I'm not only going to give you one question, but I think as Christians, it's important to ask ourselves three questions when answering this question. And so let me give this to you. The first question that I think we should answer is, if God exists, then could it be possible that there's only one way to get to him? Does that make sense? So in order to answer this question, and I'm speaking to Christians in this room, you've got to be okay with understanding and and believing that, all right, Terry, I got to agree that it could be that. Like if you're not in agreement with that, then you have to say, well, I, I do agree that it could be that. So if you're in agreement that if God does exist, that it could be that there's only one way to him. So you have to answer that first question. And so if the answer is yes, that leads me to a second question. And the second question is, all right, Terry, if there's only one way, why Jesus Christ? And that's a big question. Why not a lot of other ways? Why does it have to be Jesus? Because we've heard of a lot of other religions and ideas and different things. Why does it have to be Jesus? And I would tell you this. Pastor David and I have had the privilege. I know Pastor David's been to seminary. I've been to seminary. And in seminary, what you're taught is not just about your own faith, but you're challenged to learn the many different religions around the world. And by the way, some of us in this room think there's only a handful of other religions. There's not. I wish that was the case, especially in that class that I took, But there's not. There are hundreds and hundreds of different types of religions. I mean, the nuances are striking. And so when you study all of them, you begin to understand that there's a lot of conversation about the way to God. But here's the one thing I would tell you about Jesus that's different from any other religion. Jesus Christ is the only God, the only Savior, to never require something from mankind to get to heaven. Think about that. Jesus never looked at us and says, in order for you to go to heaven, I need something from you. That's not what our faith speaks of. In fact, I'll share what our faith is. And I will tell you that as a Catholic, it was hard. And and, and as as a believer in Jesus, from a Catholic background, it was very difficult for me to embrace this. Because I was taught all my life growing up in the Catholic Church, not necessarily from theology, but just in our regular rhythm that, all right, I got to behave, I got to do good things, and maybe, just maybe, if I do enough good works on earth, I'll earn my way to heaven. And if I don't do enough, I'll go to this place called purgatory. That's a whole other theology and a whole other. Uh, I love talking about purgatory. Have you We're ever. No time today. Yeah, no time today, but I'll, <laughs> I'll have a conversation with you about that. But then there's this place, magical place that I'm going to go to, and then I could do more good works to ultimately earn my way into heaven. That's what a lot of these different denominations think. But the truth of the matter is, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says this about what it means to get to the Father. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by anything that you do, not by any works, so that you can't boast. And I love that about God. So do you realize what God basically said to us? He said, look, heaven is a gift to you. If you believe in me, and you believe that I'm the way, here it is. I'm giving you this. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to earn anything. It's a gift. All you have to do is receive this gift from me. That's what Jesus offers to you and I. And he's the only God in all the different religions that basically says, you don't have to do anything for me. All you have to do is receive the gift that I want to give you. But
0: Terry, it it feels too easy. Like, (laughs) that's the problem. It's not just even in a Catholic background. I think just in life. Like, if you want to succeed in work, if you want to succeed in school, you've got to work for it. You've got to earn your way, and so I think sometimes there's a barrier of, but I haven't done anything, I haven't earned it, and I feel like you're also in some ways debunking the counter argument of, but I'm a good person.
1: Right, absolutely, and and I think what you're really saying, David, is is that it's too good to be true, and I think in life we grow up in a culture where if you've ever been to it, and forgive me to, if you're a used car salesman, forgive me, I'm just going to use an illustration. But if you've ever gone to a used car salesman's lot and you've ever walked around a car and you've ever had that individual that tells you all the great things about it and the bumper's about to fall off, then you know it's too good to be true. And we grow up in our culture. Don't miss this. If you learn anything today, just learn this. Many reasons why we approach Christianity the way we do is all based upon the culture in which we live. If you're not smart enough to figure that out, that your culture, that the American culture, your family culture, there's a lot that goes into approaching things the way that you do. It's because you have a worldview that you've grown up on. And in our American culture, if it's too good to be true, it probably isn't. But here's the great thing about Christianity. It's true. It's as simple as a free gift. And if you can get your mind wrapped around that, and you could say, all right, Jesus is the only one that hasn't required anything from us, then I can begin to trust us. Now, there's a third question that I think we have to also ask this. All right, Terry, if it's Jesus why do you 100% trust it? Why was his plan true? And and I think it's really important to understand that when you look at the evidence of Jesus, when you look at who He is, when you look at His path, when you look at how simple of a gift that He gave us, that you you can absolutely be in agreement that say it could be Jesus. And by the way, at, you know later on in the year, I get to take a bunch of us from this church. We get to walk the Holy Land. We get to walk on the places that Jesus walked. We get to see all the archaeological evidence, which is incredible. Later on, as we talk about, hopefully we have enough time, we're going to talk about why it's so easy to believe the Bible, to believe in Jesus, because compared to everything else in this world that we absolutely don't doubt and believe, if we don't doubt and believe certain things, we shouldn't doubt Jesus because there's far more evidence to Jesus than many other aspects of our own life. So if you ask those three questions, you can come to a belief that no, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the
0: life. And so what we see is that the Bible actually helps prove itself. It does. Through those the prophecies that we've read and seen fulfilled. I'm glad you brought
1: that up. In, in the Bible, did you know there's um, a, over a thousand prophecies in the Bible? And in, if you don't know this, about 668 of those prophecies have already come true, which means things that were inspired by God that were written down thousands of years ago to predict it in the future, 668 of those predictions came true. That, and by the way, the rest of those haven't come true yet. In other words, the rest of those deal with the end times, times that we haven't even approached yet. So it's not that Jesus is only like a 600 hitter. Okay Jesus is batting a thousand he's got six hundred and sixty eight out of six hundred and sixty eight have come true and and the evidence of that and I've preached on this before is is like sitting there and covering the state of Texas five feet deep in corners, painting one corner red, walking around the state, burying it deep within, blindfolding Pastor David, sending Pastor David out in the middle of Texas and saying, David, you get one shot. I want you to reach down, grab one corner and The statistical chance of 668 being out of 668 is him finding that red quarter on his first shot. So, again, if you're just a pure statistical person, you have to understand that, wow, there is something about Jesus, something about the Bible that is absolutely
0: amazing. Now, church, you knew he was going to work baseball somewhere into the message today, right? Like, we all knew that was coming. I could have prophesied that. You could have. You could have. (laughs) All right, so... So we can trust him. And Jesus is not only the only way to heaven, he's gone ahead and he's prepared a place for us. So we have this loving, loving, benevolent, omnipotent God. So why, Terry, is there pain and suffering Hmm. in the current world we live in? That's a tough
1: one. That's a really tough one. if you're not a Christian, I know you probably leaned forward in your seat. Because most non-Christians, this is the one question that pushes them away from Christianity. And honestly, for a lot of Christians in this room, one of the biggest causes of falling away or, or, or re, re, um, what's the word, falling back on our faith is watching pain, suffering, tragedy. Um, and, and what I would say is, first and foremost to the answer, there's no perfect answer to that question. I don't, I don't have the perfect answer. Uh, I've got some answers, but I want to tell you that they're, they're going to speak to a logical approach. It doesn't take away the hurt, the pain, the sting. I lost my mom at the age of 15. That hurt me. That shaped my life. I wish I would have had my life with her. If you've lost a child, there's no words that I say that's going to make that feel better. And there's no amount of understanding that you're going to be able to grab until one day you're able to get to God and to be able to say why. And, and what I would say is I'm a guy who has a lot of questions for Jesus. I do. When I get to heaven, I'm going to sit before him and say, okay, I'm starting to understand things now because I'm starting to see everything, but I got some questions for you. And I, I'm going to just be at his feet, and I'm going to be peppering him. And he's probably going to shake his head and just say, Terry, 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 Terry. And, and here's the great news about this, that God's plan did not intend for there to be sickness, disease, hurt, pain, tragedy. That was not God's plan. And that's if you're not a Christian, you need to understand that, that that was not God's plan that our sin, the sin of humanity, opened up a door for that pain and that hurt. And I know that doesn't purely answer your question. Because like, okay, Terry, fine, I, I get it, I get it. Adam and Eve, they sin, and, and that opened up a world of pain. But why hasn't Jesus come back? Why didn't Jesus come back before my child died? Why, didn't, why, why, did he, why did God allow, why does he heal sometimes and not heal other times? Those are great questions. I don't have great answers for you, only that he's God, and I'm not. But here's one thing I can give you to try and encourage you a little bit is I think God knew that we would have these questions because he is God. And I think God knew that ultimately, if we were gonna at least have those questions, that he would have to be an understanding God. That he would have to be a God that understands all of our pain, all of our hurt, all of our tragedy. And that's why I truly believe the reason why he had a plan to send his son to die the most horrific death in history the reason why he chose that, he chose that on purpose. So those of us that have been through tragedy, that at least we can look into the eyes of a loving father that has gone through the same pain. And while we don't have the perfect answer, we know that we have an understanding father. Now, Terry, why do you say this? There was a guy by the name of Isaiah, and he was a prophet way back in the day. And he, he foresaw what Jesus was gonna go through. And he said this in Isaiah 53.10. He said this, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, Jesus, and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. Do you understand what that meant? That God knew, and he said into motion, I'm gonna take the most loving, a part of me, not just my son, a part of me, and I'm gonna watch my son suffer a brutal death that he didn't deserve, and I'm gonna allow that to happen for my creation because I want my creation to live forever. Terry, I want your mom to live forever. Terry, I want that child that died a death they didn't deserve to live forever. And so here's the one thing that I do take solace in, is that I know that no matter what I walk through, Jesus has walked through it first. No matter what pain I felt, Jesus has walked through that pain. And so while I don't have the perfect answer, I think I can at least say, God didn't want a tragedy to happen, but God had an answer for that tragedy. And until we get to heaven, at least I know that my father understands me.
0: Yeah. Amen. Amen. You know, I find great comfort in the verse Romans eight twenty-eight. Oh, that's good. As well, um, that we know in all things God works for the good of those who have who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. Because then at least we know we may not understand the why, we may not understand the tragedy, but we know that whatever it is, God yeah. can bring blessing yeah. out of it. You know, wine, the grapes have to be crushed. That's right. To be able to create the wine, and so I, that's, that's been a great source of comfort.
1: And I, I want to challenge all, all Christians. Many times I do, we do lean on that passage, and there is truth to that passage, and we lean and we rest in it. And while for believers in this room, that gives us peace, right? It gives us peace. If our faith is strong, it gives us a peace that, you know what, I might not understand it, but God does. However, there's many Christians who will use that scripture to explain away the pain. Don't do that. Don't go to someone who's gone through a tragedy and throw that scripture up there and say, see, everything's going to be fine. Don't do that. Because no amount of words is going to make a mom who lost a son feel better about it. Instead, come alongside, put your arm around them, love on them, and say, I don't have all the answers. But I do know this, that God didn't want this to happen and that God knows the pain that you're dealing with. And we're going to get to heaven one day and we're going to see them again. And when we do, we'll be able to ask, ask those questions.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, so I've noticed that in response to every question, whether it was last week's question, this week's questions, one of your habits is to then cite the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so that brings us to a very important question, which is are there contradictions mm-hmm. in the Bible? Is it okay to even cite the Bible? That's good. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, we as Christians,
1: as soon as we hear somebody question the Bible, many of us, there, I think we fall into categories. Many of us stand up and we say, how dare you? And we don't even engage in a conversation. I would say that's not a great approach. Uh, because again, I'm not afraid of any question. Uh, obviously, I'm not afraid of any question. You could throw a lot of different questions. I don't have all the answers, but I'm not afraid to have a discussion about the questions. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't sit there and try to defend God. God doesn't need our defending. God's big enough to defend himself. It's our responsibility to know the things of God and we read his word and we're going to talk more about that. But what I would say about contradictions, are there, the simple answer and right off the bat, are there contradictions? No. But there are places in scripture that make you go like this. There are places in scripture that are tough to explain. But I think part of the reason why we can't explain this is is because we really don't understand the Bible. The Bible. And many of us who are in here who think we have a full understanding of the Bible, we don't know what we're talking about. So if you're not a Christian and someone says, I've read the Bible and I know it, don't believe that person, okay? Because we're finite. God's infinite. We're going to learn so much more about our faith when we get to heaven. We don't have all the answers. But I'm going to give you a statement because I think sometimes we mistake contradictions with omissions. And omissions do not mean contradiction. And so let me, let me explain this a little bit Way You talked about citing the Bible. I'm going to give you the Bible. And because these are some of the things that non-Christians will throw at a Christian and say, see, there's discrepancy. Yes, there's discrepancy, but an omission is not a contradiction. Let's take a look at Luke 24.4. Luke is a doctor. Luke wrote one of the Gospels. He's meticulous in his writing. Take a look at what he writes about the fact that Jesus is rising from the dead and see this interaction, Luke 24.4. It says, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. So Luke writes that when they went to see if Jesus was still there, two men gleaming in clothes, just brilliant, show up. Now, there's a guy by the name of Matthew. He wrote one of the other Gospels. Matthew writes about this same event. I want you to read Matthew 28, 2-4. This is what Matthew said. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white like snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Right off the bat, you see two individuals telling the same story with two different perspectives. And what someone that is skeptical will say is, Luke said there's two, Matthew said there's one. Matthew said that guy sat on a stone I mean, where's all that? See, they contradict. And I would say, if you've ever played the telephone game before, you understand what happens, right? Because you have two individuals that are sharing their perspective, what's most important to them. If you've ever told someone a story, go 10 people down past that story and see if the story is the same. It's probably going to change, because it change is based on our importance, on our perspective in writing it down. That's why the Gospels are so important, because when you read all four Gospels, and then you read about the same stories, you, not, you don't see contradiction, you see omissions, and then you fill in the blanks, and you begin to see and have greater understanding. Let me give you one more, okay? When we talk about the birth, or the beginning of the story of the birth of Christ, Luke And Matthew, again, have two different perspectives. Let's take a look. This is Luke's version. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. So Luke says, angel Gabriel shows up, and that's the beginning of the birth of Jesus. Okay, let's see what Matthew has to say. This is Matthew 1.18. Matthew says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Aha, there's no mention of Gabriel by Matthew. So where is this coming from? Contradiction. And I would say if you read all the Gospels and you read the story of the birth of Christ, you begin to understand they all work together and they fill in different blanks. So no, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Omissions are not contradictions.
0: Yeah, it occurs to me as I'm listening to you, it's almost as if being on a movie set and each of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, They're different cameras. Yes. And so one camera is on a wide shot, and you see both angels in the shot. The other one's zooming in on the one who's actually rolling away the stone. Yes. And so it's not a contradiction. You're just, it's the different perspective, as you say. That's right. That's great. Absolutely. That's great. Okay. So you've given me confidence. I can trust it. I'm thankful. He's a pastor. However, you, you keep using this word context. And the context of this book is that it was written in the ancient Near East for a more primitive people. I've got a smartphone. I've got a flat screen TV at home. I drive a car, not a camel. Is is it outdated? Is it still relevant to me 2,000-some years later?
1: Yeah. This is really important. Um, this is one of those questions I think we're wrestling in our society today, not only in American society but around the world, is is that, um, you know, can I trust the Bible or does the Bible need to be adapted? I think you're seeing this in politics today too. I think you're seeing this, you know, with regards to principles and policies. You know, is time dictating a, a change in the way in which we behave? Um, and and I, f- I think before we answer that question, David, I, I want to share this. Is the Bible outdated? And, well, first, we have to understand, can we trust the Bible in itself? Because I think that has to be answered here. Because there, I think there's a lot of Christians, let's be honest in the room, there's a lot of Christians in this room that you would say you believe in the Bible, but you wouldn't say that you believe in all of the Bible. Let's be honest. Because many of us, we do some things based on what the Bible says, but we don't do other things, which basically dictates a belief that some is relevant, others is not. So the first thing that I would say is, is we can absolutely trust the Bible is the inspired Word of God for two reasons. Number one, it was built on inspiration, where God spoke through men of a certain time, culture, and reference. Just like I began this discussion by saying, a lot of what frames your behavior as Christians is not necessarily just based on Christianity or Scripture. It's based upon your American culture. The way you grew up and your family. You view through a certain worldview and that dictates what you think about Scripture and that's why you think this is the way. So inspiration happens to the men, the godly men who followed and penned down the words of God. So we believe that the Bible is an error. We believe that God spoke truth and we believe that those men wrote it. But they wrote it through their prism as well. God spoke it, they wrote it. Which also tells me this, and this is important. You can go to sleep after this, but get this point. God knows all, sees all. He knows yesterday, today, and forever, right? He knew that I would have an iPhone today. He knew knew that my son would be more proficient at it than I am today, amen? He also knew during the time in which the Bible and scripture was written down, he also knew the limitations of man of that day. And so holy God is going to, yes, give prophecy, yes, give certain things so that we can have confidence in this book, which I've already shared, but he's also gonna share things in a way to where the men who are writing it down are not sitting there going, we don't know what an iPhone is, God. Why, I don't understand the iPad, what is it? He was gonna write it in the culture and the context of that day. So inspiration matters, context matters, but there's also something called canonization. Now, without getting too deep, canonization is the men of God all gathered together. Constantine called them all together. When Constantine made Christianity the religion of the empire, the Roman empire during that day, he was the first Roman empire to do that. He made it safe for all of these theologians to come together. They came together and they wrestled with the inspiration of God. There were a lot more books that were written down under the guise of this is the word of God than what we have in our Bible today. I know I just flipped your lid, but that's true. And so many of them wrestled together and they looked for inconsistencies. They looked for validity. They looked for how many manuscripts do we have of this? And they all came together and they came out with our canonized Bible that we view today. Now some denominations have extra books, Maccabees and some of the others, because certain believe that this is the inspired word of God. So it's not for us to demonize, it's for us to understand where the Bible comes from. Now the great thing is is this, I'm going to give you three facts about the Bible. One, there are more manuscripts of the Bible than any other ancient literature. Manuscripts is a Word for word, written copy. So when you look at it, I'm gonna take this copy that was handwritten and I'm gonna make another handwritten copy, word for word. So it's not a photocopy, it's not a printing press, it's not a copy of something, it is handwritten. There are more of those than any other ancient literature. Well, Terry, why is this important? Because many of us grew up in school and we studied Western Civ and we studied Julius Caesar, right? Right? There's no doubt in this room that Julius Caesar existed. No, no doubt of Et Tu Brute. We have commercials making fun and poking fun of Brutus, right? We have that. We believe that Julius Caesar existed. There's far less manuscripts on the life of Julius Caesar than of Jesus Christ and the things of the Bible. Far less. Not even close. But here's the second reason. When you look at the Bible and you look at the time in which things happened and the time in which they were written, the Bible is the most closest. That's a terrible English. I know you're killing me right now. He's an English guy, and so he's looking at me saying, oh, you're killing me, Terry, most, whatever it is. But they were written so close to the events, which tells you what? That when you see something happen, if you write it down within a fraction amount of time of it happening, it's far more accurate. Wouldn't you agree? Well, when you look at all the other, the Iliad, the, the Odyssey, Homer, you look, at, you look at all of these they were written hundreds of years after they supposedly happened. And so when you're looking at that, we look at that and we don't doubt it. But we doubt the Bible many times because we sit there and think, oh, well, it's outdated or it's irrelevant or it's not. No, the Bible is the, the most factual evidence of history that we have to mankind. Ask a historian or ask someone what our history was built off of. It's built off the Bible because the stories of the Bible are in our history. So, all right. I'm off of that.
0: No, that's okay. That's okay. Don't you love that Pastor Terry's like a bogo? He's a buy one, get one free. Like you get a pastor and a, and a history teacher all at the same time. I love that. Um, no, you know, I I think I said this to you earlier. I, I feel like sometimes the whole outdated argument is just, it's an excuse for me in my own Christian immaturity to try to get a workaround so that I can sin in a yeah. way that I'd like to. Yeah. So if the, if the Bible doesn't specifically say that I can't do X, then Hey, I can do it. Yeah. But when we understand it from the context of what you just painted, yeah. no, the principle is right. there.
1: I'll say one last thing because th- I think this is important. In fact, I had a, I'll tell you the story later, but I had a gentleman come into the commons afterwards and thank me for bringing this up, and it meant a lot to him, and I'll, I'll share more of this story later. But I would say this. There are some that are not Christians who will take the Bible and say, Well, Terry, look, there's slavery in the Bible. Yeah. And so how can you believe in a document or, or in a book that has slavery? And so, first and foremost, what I would say is, do I, think God, do I believe that God thinks that slavery in today's modern context is okay? No, I don't. I absolutely do not, based upon the principles of God's Word. I do not. However, during that time period, you need to understand something about slavery. Again, slavery has morphed and changed throughout history. I'm not saying slavery is good. Don't get me wrong, okay? But what I am saying is, is that the time of the colonists, that type of slavery is far different than many of the slavery that you saw in biblical times. Do you understand that society was built on the back of slavery, not necessarily brutalized, but it was the economy of the world during that time. It was also the living. There were many slaves who were not abused, but they were slaves by class. They were just, this is my life, this is how I'm taken care of, I don't work, I don't get a job, I don't have an opportunity, this is the way that I am, and I'm perfectly fine with it. You have to understand that the whole economy during that time was built upon a class system, and so, when you look at the idea of maybe why wouldn't God put in the word, by the way, slavery is evil and you should all stop slavery, it's because the people at that time wouldn't know how to do it because women didn't have any rights. Children were just property. It was a brutal society. We weren't living in the freedom and rights of America that we all have these sensibilities. Back then, they didn't have that sensibility. Being a soldier was the way that going to war was a fact of life. You know, sitting there and treating women which was horrible, but treating women as property and women accepting it was a part of culture. I'm not saying it's right, but that's what it was. And so when you look at it, you have to take context. And you have to be able to put your arms around scripture and to be able to understand culture and context so that you can understand the principles where then I can say as a pastor today, did God want us to have slavery? Is slavery a good thing? No. T- mistreating anyone. And if you've not read the words of Jesus, you don't understand it then, because Jesus said, love one another. And so, when you abuse someone or you victimize someone, that is not what Jesus wants, and you understand that as a Christian. Okay, enough said. There's That's one good. more question That's that good. I want to get
0: to. Uh, I know, we're going to get yes, there. Yes, yes. Sir. So, <laughs> so, the Bible is relevant. The Bible does not contradict itself. It is not outdated, and we can use it to answer our questions and validate our faith. Great. So why in the world can we not agree on it as Christians? (laughs) That's an easy question, actually.
1: And I would say is part of the reason why I think we we live in a society that we do where we don't know what truth is, is not just, and if you're not a Christian in this room and you don't believe what we believe, I'm not blaming you. I blame Christians. Because let me give you a stat. In 2017, Lifeway Research, they put out a a survey. Do you know this, that in our country, in America, I'm just talking for American Christians, in America, 90%, in 2017, 90% of American household, not Christian, non-Christian, American household, 90% have a Bible. Staggering, right? Of that 90% that have a Bible, do you know how many of those individuals have actually read it? 11%. The problem we have, David, is not necessarily because we have different denominations and we're fighting. Denominations is not our problem. Our problem is we have Christians growing up with strong biblical opinion with little biblical knowledge. 84% of this room have never read the Bible. That's the truth. Now, I'm not demonizing you or blaming you. I'm gonna continue to encourage you to own your faith. You should never trust Pastor David or Pastor Terry with your faith. Trust me, do not put your faith in us. We're gonna fail you. You need to put your trust in what we've talked about. You need to own your faith. If you don't have an answer for something, you need to go in and you need to search that answer. Now you can ask us to help you find it, but you need to yourself own it, put your arms around it. The reason why Christianity is so out of whack is because we've got a lot of Christians walking around saying they know what they're talking about. They don't. So if you're not a Christian in this room watching online, usually when you ask a Christian a question, if they tell you they know beyond a shadow of a doubt, ask them if they've read the Bible. Ask them if they read it in its entirety and they understand the context. And if they don't, then I, would, I don't blame you for not trusting their opinions. Here's the other thing I would say is, We are growing up in a world where Christians do not have a worldview. I don't expect non-Christians to have a worldview. I expect Christians to have a biblical worldview. Terry, what does that mean? Here's what a biblical worldview means. A biblical worldview means that if I'm a follower of Jesus, let's just get simple, I trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you've done that, then you're saying you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, then what you're also saying to God is, is I'm gonna see the world as Jesus sees it, and I'm going to try to act the way that Jesus does. Would you agree with that? And so if we say, I'm going to have a biblical worldview, I'm going to see as Jesus sees, and I'm going to act like Jesus acts, then our beliefs should dictate how we behave. I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of Christians who are not behaving like Jesus. And I think the reason why is not because they don't want to, it's because they don't know how Jesus acted. Because they actually have not owned their faith. And so we need a biblical worldview. Could you imagine in our society, well, Terry, what what, what happens if I don't have a biblical worldview? What happens if David just decides, you know what, I'm not gonna choose the Bible as my source for a biblical worldview? That's dangerous. If you don't hear anything else I say, if you're a Christian watching online, if you're not a Christian, I want you to lean in and hear me. It is really dangerous to base your worldview on yourself. That's what we have going on right now. We have a lot of Christians and non-Christians who are spouting their belief system based on nothing. Based on how I feel, based on what I think. Let me tell you something, if you ever see Pastor Terry giving his own worldview, smack me in the face. Because here's the danger, when you create your own worldview, when you decide I'm not gonna go off of what the Bible says and what Jesus did, instead I'm gonna choose my own path. When you do that, you become God. You become God. No, Terry, you're being too hard. No, I'm not. You become God to your family. You become God to your friends. You become God to your community. You become God to your country. You become God to politics. When you choose your own worldview, you are saying, I know what's best for the world. I don't know about you, but I will tell you this. I will give you this. If that's you, you have far more faith than I ever will because you're trusting way too much in yourself. Because one thing I know about humanity, we are sinful, prideful men and women. And I am going to fall. And I do not know the best thing all the time. But I thank God that I have a document, a resource, a savior that tells me what to think, how to think, and the principles that it's based off of. And so the second danger, and I'm done, not only do you become God, but you fall victim to becoming a part of empty philosophies. God, help us. I don't know, some of you that are wiser in age, do you feel this way? And if you're younger, I want you to lean in for a second because you're, you're looking at the old fogey on stage, you know, saying the Bible's important. I get it, I get it. But I will say this. If you're young in this room or watching online, would you agree with me that we're gonna learn more as we get older and our opinions about things are gonna change when we get older? Would you at least agree with that? And if you agree with that and you're young, then be careful with forming your own biblical worldview or your own worldview because you're gonna lead a whole lot of people to making a whole lot of mistakes because they're gonna follow you and they're gonna believe in what you think instead of you pointing them to something that is timeless and true. And so why do Christians disagree all the time? It's because all of us have our own worldview instead of going to the worldview and agreeing on the worldview that Jesus, and I'm not saying denominations need to all agree on 100% of what the Bible says. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that we should at least agree on the things of Jesus and at least agree on exactly the way Jesus treated individuals and frame our worldview and how we treat people through the eyes of Jesus Christ.
0: Mic drop, I'm done. That's good. That's really good. You know, I think there's a lot of warning in there for us. It's very sobering as Christians because I think sometimes we even deify the people we listen to. That's right. Because as you said, rather than going to the source, the inspired Word of God, which we validated today, we go to human beings. That's right. And we even if we're not deifying ourselves, we're deifying someone else. And That's so right. it feels to the action step is we need to turn that up dial and we need to be looking at the Word of God. That's good. Pastor, thank you. I know this is not easy to be hammered with these this level <laughs> questions this morning for the third time, but thank you very much. Would you pray for us as we close? I'd love to. Would you pray with me?
1: Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word, and um, God, I pray for the individual in this word that room that's a skeptic. Um, God, you know my heart, and if anything, I just pray that they would know it's okay to question, it's okay to to really have open arguments. But God, I I pray right now for the skeptic because I do know this, God, and I didn't get a chance to say this, but 90% of skeptics are hostile to Christianity. That's a stat that just came out in 2020. God, 90% of the people who are not believing in you are not only not believing in you, but they're not even open to learning anything about you. And if you're a skeptic in this room or you're someone who doesn't believe in Jesus or you're just learning, I would challenge you. Are you really open to learning and growing? Or are you just looking for an opportunity to prove yourself right and someone else wrong? Because if that's the case, then you're not gonna get anywhere. You might as well just call it a day. And so God, I pray that you would at least bring an open heart, open mind to all of us in this room, that we're open to learning, open to growing, open to changing. And God, as we do, I pray that we would begin to live a life with a biblical worldview, that we'd begin to treat people the way that you call us to treat, not just because we've done it for 40 years, this is how I'm gonna do it. God, forgive us. We become God at that moment. And so God, I just thank you for the opportunity to share this truth. I pray that you'd use it. Forgive me or forgive Pastor David. If we've shared anything out of context or wrong, God, you know that's on our heart. Instead, I pray that you take the words that were spoken and you would allow them to penetrate hearts. And God, I lift up our community, our families, our country, because I know this, the Christian life is a better life because of the principles that you give. And God, I pray that we'd return to them and we would see your hand of blessing continue on this great nation. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Pastor Terry.